Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to an episode all about the family that is both mysterious and spooky, and altogether ooky. It's the Adams Family. So join us, please, as we visit that extended family with a mania for the macabre, a graveyard in the backyard, and a very special thing. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing I I will eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to pull any punches, man. <laughs> All right. Hello, cat. Hello, Marshall. Um, so, it's been a while since we've... It's been a little while. Do you have any spooky gab? I do. What's your spooky gab? Well, I've spent a lot of time reading true crime, listening to podcasts about true crime, like real brutal stuff. Stuff that gets real far away from our message and our kind of aesthetic here at Boys and Ghouls. Yeah, I've been exposed to a lot of true crime since we've last seen each other because my sister will not turn off Discovery ID. Great. So, we women, my, my Christmas trip home. Uh, women are the primary demographic for that show, that yeah. channel. So, it all kind of started with, I found this book called Two of a Kind that was about the Hillside Stranglers. The Hillside Stranglers were these two cousins who murdered... A bu and now, at the time the murders were going on um, in uh, the greater L.A. area, they were referred to as the Hillside Strangler because... You didn't know it was two people. People didn't know it was two people. The cops suspected earlier on that it was, but... So, well, was that like, we kept that part a secret, so only the police knew it. Exactly. That was the idea. Anyway, I read this book detailing all the crimes. It was incredibly brutal, really well-written book. Again, it's called Two of a Kind. And one of the things that was so riveting to me about it was it's part of the whole L.A. crime ether. And Los Angeles is such this place of broken dreams, and there's a lot of crime that's gone when, on here. When was this? Late 70s, early 80s, if I remember correctly. So I'm very fascinated by the climate of L.A. and the, the kind of Wild West aspect of this part of the country and Hollywood and how it all ties in. So I read this book, was completely fascinated. In the book, which was written in the... Just a couple years after the two men were arrested, so it was written in the 80s, there are addresses of all the places bodies were dumped and where the killers lived and all of this. Take yourself on a tour? Sort of. Um, inadvertently, I've been going to see a mutual friend of ours, Jen... Sure. ...lives in a building where they took a prostitute to attempt to murder her one time. Just attempt... I was reading the book and came across the street name, and I was like, why does that street name sound familiar? Furthermore, why does that exact address sound familiar? Looked it up in my phone, like, where are my texts with Jen? Her building. 
Her exact building. Her exact building. Um, now, they didn't murder her there. They tried to. She started screaming. They pulled her out of the building. But one of the stranglers lived there. Then Alec and I, my husband, we were in Glendale like you do. We were out, you know, at the gallery or something shopping. I don't know. Sure. And um, I asked him before we went home, I was like, hey, I I think we're close to a place that I want to go by. And we were, and he agreed because he knows me. So I plugged in the address for where the two men were living and where they committed most of the murders during that time, which is in Glendale. And it was at, he, the main guy, Angelo Bono, lived in... Um, a house where out back he had an upholstery, a car upholstery business. So he ran his business. He had his house. Nothing creepy happened. Nothing. It doesn't look spooky. We just drove by. Places are just places. Places once you are clean just up the places. Blood. But you know, I feel like, and I've I've kind of been inspired to want to go check out more locations. Not because it's hard to explain. I kind of feel like after reading that whole book and learning so much about what what went on. You know, you can look at it on Google Maps, which I did. I looked at all these locations. I was like, oh, interesting. This is how close it is to my apartment. But there's something about going to a place that in some ways the everyday kind of boring nature of what it actually looks like when you go there, like it's just a street, mm-hmm. is a little more sobering in some ways than if it were creepy, if that makes sense. Because it's yeah. like you, you it really drives real it home that it's as, just real. And as pedestrian as anything else in your life. Yeah. And... That's more disturbing to me than anything, I You can do the math and say, anywhere in my life, my day-to-day could become one of these places. Yeah. Spooky. I, Catherine. Yes, Marshall. (laughs) I like that I have a longer version of your name to employ from time to time. I don't. And you can just draw my name out. Marshall. (laughs) You rang. When at home for Christmas, uh, my sister wanted to have sort of a a brother-sister day. Kind of a field trip. Take advantage of the fact that we live next to a metropolis. Mm -hmm. So we went to the Mutter Museum. Are you familiar? Vaguely. Did you see American Horror Story Freak Show? That's the one season I haven't totally finished yet. You know the museum in Philadelphia with like human oddities? Mm, Nope. Not from the show anyway, I don't think. That's basically the the Mutter Museum. It's a medical museum. Oh, spooktastic. Is medical oddities. Great. Which Jen had spent a little time there over this last year, but didn't really get to check it out. She was kind of working. So she wanted to go back and like really, you know, take it in. And she knew I'd be into it and that I could use it for my podcast. So are they medical oddities as in specimens of things or medical instruments over the years? A Both. combination of, okay. Yeah. First, let me uh, show you a couple of these brochures. Here it is, Mutter Museum, the College of Physicians of Philadelphia. Their uh, trademarked tagline is disturbingly informative. Oh, plaster death cast of Chang and Ang. Yep. Interesting. As well as unborn conjoined twins Mm. in jars. Because, you know, most didn't survive, but Mm. all would be preserved for the ages Mm -hmm. and scientific study. Wow, I want to go to here. There's like, like a giant's skeleton. And then there's like a dwarf skeleton, and she had died giving birth to an average-sized baby because they had to go in cesarean. Oh. Broken bodies and suffering spirits. That is their Civil War portion, and that's a sobering little journey. And there's a part where you can stand in front of a screen, and they project an arm onto you. you got to tell them, like, your, your height, and then you, you pick a, a skin tone just for that much authenticity. So I was like, okay, really white, and I'm six foot two. 
and then I stand in the thing and it look at my reflection and then it projects an arm over my own arm. Mm -hmm. And then it says like, okay, you have a wound. Oh God. Here's where gangrene sets in. And it's like one day, four days, two weeks, amputation. Ew. And you're just sort of watching if you're standing just right and really line it up, you know, like your arm kind of a putrefy putrefy the horror yeah there was a huge wall of skulls and to catalog these skulls they used to just write on the skull i don't even know if they still do that or not i like to think they have a better system of tagging but there's really no way to mix up your skulls mm -hmm. if you write right directly onto the skull itself you put a sticker on it falls off then you're confused yeah right on the skull uh, you can adopt a skull and then get your name next to it ah it's a way of contributing to the museum. Mm -hmm. This was during the area when imbecile was a medical term. Mm -hmm. So it would be like, Viennese man, 24, imbecile. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that is the skull of an imbecile. Good right. to know. Favorite part. The guy's name was uh, Chevalier mm -hmm. Jackson. He was a doctor. His specialty was the removal of foreign objects from the body. Oh. Specifically things that had been swallowed. Oh. And then... There's all these drawers that you can open, and they were divided by, like, content. Mm -hmm. So there was, like, the pins drawer. Drawers, yeah. plural, that you would open up, and there would just be all these different pins that women had swallowed. I assume women. Tailors also, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I assume. And then there were, um, like, toys, stuff that, like, kids had swallowed. Buttons, false teeth was a big one. Mm -hmm. Favorite item that I found that a kid had swallowed was a button, like a pin with an inscription. Uh-huh. That said, perfect attendance. Wow. Some punctual, perfect attendee swallowed his button. Or and then his, had to have the doctor retrieve it. Or his little brother did. And or he was her like, little brother. Or her little brother. And she was like, damn it, Emilio. How, how are people ever going to know I had perfect attendance? To Dr. Jackson to get that thing back. You know, but Apparently, so the kid swallowed it. And then... It got retrieved, mm -hmm. didn't ask for it back because right. it wound up in the museum. Sure. Ew. Then I went to the gift shop. Uh-huh. And because this was a Christmas time trip, I picked up a Christmas time gift for me. Official Mutter Museum Conjoined Twins Gingerbread Man Aww, Cookie Cutter. Aw, that's charming. So lately, once a year, I'll go to the cookie and Christmas tree decorating party of the Sweet Brothers. And this year, I'm going to bring my conjoined twins gingerbread cookie cutter. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, thing. Kat. Yep. You and I were uh, talking a little bit off mic about how both of us feel quite underprepared for this mysterious and spooky and altogether ooky mm -hmm. episode of Boys and Ghouls because once we got into it, there's just a lot of Adams family oh out there. Oh my God. Way when, more than we thought there when was. When you suggested this topic to me, I thought, perfect. There's no one who's ever been more in love than Morticia and Gomez. Oh, for <clears throat> Valentine's. For Valentine's, for February, February for love. 
I thought, how appropriate. It's a family. The two of them love each other so much. That's perfect. And then I thought, also, a little bit of a simpler topic because we've just got this one thing to cover. Oh, boy, was I mistaken. Yeah, because it's like, okay, well, the comics, those are just comics. You can read those real fast. Mm -hmm. And they're only one panel each. That's easier than, you know, four panel comics. Yep. And the TV show, well, that's on Hulu. Yeah. And they only had two seasons, so how many of them could there be? Mm-hmm. We didn't really realize oh. the depths of... Oh, I didn't realize multiple animated things, multiple terrible In- TV things. Yeah. I didn't realize how deeply entrenched in our culture the Adams Family was. And it's delightful. I just feel incredibly exponentially more educated on all things Adams than I was a month ago. However, I also feel like I could study this for another month and still not have absorbed all there is. Well, hopefully the two of us didn't look at the exact same things <laughs> for the last month, and so maybe we can fill each other in. I hope so. On some stuff. <laughs> Where to start? How about the birth of Charles Chaz Adams? Chaz, which he didn't really go by, but that's how he signed his drawings. He was born in 1912 in Westfield, New Jersey. And we bring him up because he is the cartoonist who created... um, Here's something I found out. His comic didn't have a name. It's not like Marmaduke, Mm. where it says Marmaduke or Family Circus. He mostly did cartoons for The New Yorker which wouldn't come with a title over top. They would just be a New Yorker cartoon. Mm-hmm. He technically never really worked for them, which I think is a good thing, because then when it came time to sell off his property, he was still considered a freelancer, so it was his to sell. And not only were they not titled, but the characters didn't refer to each other by name. Yeah, it was just sort of um, the witch, the tall man, the guy with the mustache, <laughs> the bald guy, the little girl, the little boy. I suppose my primary exposure to the Adams Family has always been Adams Family Values. I'd seen the first film several times as a kid. I was aware vaguely that there was a television show. Truthfully, that's about it before this endeavor. So I really didn't understand how Morticia's mythology really is that she is from a long line of witches. Some of their mythology kind of changes. Definitely, yeah. Uh, Especially with the TV show, they played it kind of fast and loose. (laughs) And then even in the movie, from one movie to the next. To me, because I watch Adam's Family Values, I always knew Fester as Gomez's brother and Mama as Morticia's mom. But apparently that switches around from time to time throughout the various incarnations. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to end up like your mother. My mother? I thought she was your mother. Seriously. I found a cute little piece of information about about Charles Adams as a child. Yeah. That he was known as, quote, something of a rascal around the neighborhood. And he would sometimes sneak around and break into abandoned houses that were Victorian. He really kind of obsessed over Victorian-style houses. He loved them. Now, the Adams family house, I know you found a thing. 
That I found like, a few things, yeah. That, I posted one a, photo to our Instagram, but it was just because I found a picture of one of the supposed inspirational pieces of architecture. But, I mean, there were definitely several. And, and my sister had, like, that day sent me another from, like, a different college. Yeah. Well, because that part of the country, like, his town in New Jersey was full of houses like that. Yeah. So... I read that he never drew the house the same way twice. Not exactly. He had, like, a, the general idea. But he didn't have, like, a very precise house that he was pulling from. Right. And the house that my sister showed me, that wasn't even Charles Adams. That was a art director for the show who went to that college. Oh, how fun. So they're like, well, clearly that inspired him. And he went to University of Pennsylvania for just a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And... They're like, well, this was at University of Pennsylvania, and clearly he saw it, so clearly that inspired him. Right. I think everybody wants a piece of that Adams family Naturally. I know I do now. Well, it does look sort of haunted. (laughs) Why, thank you. Now, Charles Adams didn't just draw the Adams family. He drew just whatever came into his head, which was most often a little dark and a little strange. In a time that the dark and strange really wasn't very popular. I read a bit that in 1933, he joined the layout department of True Detective magazine, where he was retouching photos of corpses that appeared in the magazine's stories. He had to remove the blood from them. He complained, quote, a lot of those corpses were more interesting the way they were. The skulls, the bodies, you give it all such a glow. I don't know if it's art, but I like it. One of the things that charms me a lot about who I understand him to have been is Uh that idea of, you know, he's collecting odd things and saying things like, no, I thought those corpses were better the way they were. But when he became Charles Adams, as it were, and people knew him for the Adams family and all of that, I get the impression he played into that image. Oh, he did. And that maybe much like Stephen King, who will take a funny photo of around something spooky. It looked like a, a raven on his shoulder. Yes, that's exactly the photo I was thinking of. What is it, like an American Express ad or something? I think so. Um, but he'll play into that persona because it's fun for people and it's fun for him. So I get the impression Charles Adams was well, a bit that way. One rumor that I found was just a rumor was that he would get institutionalized frequently. The broader rumor goes that there was this picture that he wanted to get printed of, like, a nurse at a delivery room showing the Fester character a baby, and he goes, don't wrap it, I'll just eat it here. (laughs) And the story went that any time he tried to submit that to, like, the New Yorker, they were like, it's time to get institutionalized for a while. Uh And he was like, okay, off to the booby hatch. Yeah. In fact, although that is something he drew and never got published... He didn't get committed, right. even voluntarily. That right. was, sure. But once the rumor was out there, playing to his image, he didn't do anything to quash it. Sure. So. Don't you know I'm loco? I read that the cartoons first appeared in 1938 or 1940, somewhere around there in The New Yorker. Sure. Just to place us. Do you want to talk about what kinds of images they were? Well, the one that really put them on the map, it was called The Skier. And there's two <laughs> people in it, and that's important. One of them is skiing downhill, and you can follow his ski tracks up the hill and around either side of a tree. (laughs) So it doesn't offer really an explanation how he negotiated this tree, but he's just fine. He's just skiing along. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a picture only Charles Adams could draw. The second person in the the comic is your average fellow, your your straight man, looking at the tracks going, what? (laughs) And that's key to most of his cartoons, including the Adams Family cartoons, which is something bizarre would be happening, but to really bring it home, to actually make a joke of this bizarre thing, there would be 
the observer, the whoa, <laughs> what's yeah. happening here? What am I looking at? My reality's been shifted. Mm-hmm. And then into the show, the Adams family pops for what they are mm-hmm. when you get someone from the outside coming in. Mr. Hilliard, you're a bundle of nerves. Isn't there something we can do for him, Gomez? Of course. The rack. The rack. The violence was just implied. Hmm. For the most part. Yeah. Even in the comics, you would see the kids setting up the boulder, but you never saw the You'd see the, the family fall. holding the cauldron of hot oil over the carolers on Christmas Eve. Yeah, but you never you saw don't see them. You don't see the skin melting off their faces after they've poured the hot no. oil on them. Yeah. And just referring to things off camera previously. Oh, he must be a real lady killer. Acquitted. <laughs> The TV show premiered in 1964 and ran for two seasons, 64 through 65. It gave everybody names, and actually when he was participating, when Charles Adams was participating, he wrote out, and I think it might have even been like in the contract to make the show. Oh, the character description. Neat. Sweet. Petite. So what I have, and this I found online as quoted from a book called The Adams Family and Evolution. Is that what you're holding right there? No, I'm holding um, a cartoonist life. Oh, okay. He said, Gomez and Pugsley are enthusiastic. Morticia is even in disposition, muted, witty, sometimes deadly. Grandma Frump is foolishly good-natured. Oh, by the way, Morticia's maiden name is Frump. Um, okay. Wednesday is her mother's daughter, meaning Morticia's daughter, not Grandma Frump's. A closely-knit family, the real head being Morticia, although each of the others is a definite character, except for Grandma, who is easily led. Many of the troubles they have as a family are due to Grandma's fumbling, weak character. The house is a wreck, of course, but this is a house-proud family, just the same. And every trapdoor is in good repair. Money is no problem. Taking that uh, money is no problem. He wrote, some ancestor made a real killing. (laughs) Delightful. Gomez is the only one who smokes, although Pugsley can be allowed an occasional cigar. Which he does in the Adams Family Values, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. cigar. He saw his hair as blondish red, I guess. Oh. It was in black and white. Interesting. And his voice as hoarse. As for the solemn and delicate Wednesday, who had her mother's coloring... Had six toes on one foot. I don't think that ever came up. Never heard that before. Given to occasional tantrums, Adams found her secretive and imaginative, poetic, and on the whole, pretty lost. (laughs) Which, probably more the movie incarnation. Although she seems very uh, self-possessed until Mm -hmm. she goes off to camp. Sure. And gets really challenged. Right. And, I mean, there's a lot here. Talks about their butler lurch. Mm. A towering mute. Not so mute in later, uh, I noticed no. in some of the episodes of the television show. He I, starts talking. I heard talking. he was supposed to start as mute, and then, like, you rang was such a good joke. Right. And then he just gets more and more as needed. Sure. Although, for the most part, his response to lots of things is... <sighs> yeah, which I much prefer. Oh, it's you, Batman. Gave me quite a start. Yes, citizen, you may return to your harpsichord. We're on official business. Then there was the character of Thing, or The Thing. I think he's just Thing. They they only, as far as I know, ever call him Thing. If you look 
in the comics, there was a sign, beware of the thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. In one in particular. And that and was... on the TV show, there's a sign on the fence. Right, right. You're right, yeah. If you look at even, like, the one where they're pouring the oil, there's this other character, not just a hand, like a full, disheveled character. Shows how close I was looking. Who lurks, like, in, in the background of several what would be considered Adam's family cartoons. Really? Sort of like like up on a staircase, just kind of peeking oh, out. Oh, I saw that when they're leaving. They tell the nanny, we'll be back around whatever, and, but make sure the kids are in bed before nine and keep your back to the wall at all times. Yeah. That one. Yes, there's some... I always assume that was Fester. That was the some original weird... incarnation of Thing, <gasps> who then for the TV show... Here's a tidbit that... You know, a lot of stuff you read and you're like, oh, that's neat. And then I read this tidbit and I was like, what? What? No. Wait, what? Which is Ted Cassidy, who played Lurch, mm-hmm. was seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. Big man. Side trivia. He was all of the um, like grunts and screams of the Incredible Hulk. Whoa. And he was a narrator in the beginning going like, Dr. David Benner. Oh, wow. That was him. And then every time the Hulk would go, like, I don't know why Lou Ferrigno couldn't just do his own. He's a big man. Sure. But I guess he didn't have those pipes. Wow. So Ted Cassidy, Lurch. Fun. Yeah. So, big man. Yeah. Who was also dual role, Lurch, Thing. What? No. I mean, just watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's in the trivia. If you read like IMDb trivia and uh-huh. I read up on it, according to the internet, he was Thing. How fun. Which makes sense. Why bring in a guy just to be Thing? Sure. There would be occasional shots where he'd be in it when it was Thing and they credit like a, an assistant director or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. for that. Here's my deal. I always thought whoever played the hand Thing had to really uncomfortably just kind of squeeze under whatever it was he was popping out mm-hmm. of at the time, usually like a nightstand with a box on it. That guy's seven feet tall. Yeah. He's... No one would be more uncomfortable Folding himself down underneath like her potting table wow. when she's you know feeding her plants to just come out as the hand. Wow. As thing. I love that. You remember our honeymoon, Gomez? Who could forget our first night in Death Valley? There was a stillness in the air. Tish. The moon was full. And that lovely, soft fluttering of bat wings. <laughs> and that divine cave. You're so romantic, Tish. Here's something we can't not get around, which is how in love, passionate for each other, Gomez and Morticia was. May we? Oui. Well, Tish, that's French. <laughs> and then he would kiss up her arm, oh. not kiss her lips. Lip kissing didn't happen, mm. I guess, until the movies. Mm. But before that, it would just be like, he'd kiss her shoulder, he'd kiss her back, he'd kiss her sleeve up and down, but he wouldn't kiss her on the lips. Yeah. But he would kiss frequently and with passion. And speak of how passionately he was in love with her. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that was so lovely to read about and so refreshing, because when you think about the way that other parents, couples, behave towards one another on television. It was very Kiss on the cheek. Yeah, of course. Like, they're loving. They love each other, but no passion. But they got away with a lot of, like, implied sexual things. Oh, yeah. Unless you were to believe that they would just continue, like, arm kissing whenever they would refer to, like, we'll be back later. Or, you know, see me in three days. Right. What have you. It's like, I plan on kissing her arm for two hours. Yeah. Morticia, you're all woman. Yes, I know. So often on the show, 
the family will sit down and watch another member of the family perform something. Yeah. Either a musical instrument yeah. or read a speech. Or Wednesday taught Lurch how to dance. Yeah. And, and watch them dance. And it's like, hey, this member of the family has a hobby. Let's support them. Yeah. There's a part where you hear Morticia call Uncle Fester. He comes in, Uncle Fester, sing the song that you can, you know? They love supporting each other in those kinds of things. Yeah, or just family time. There's mm-hmm. just family time and, like, Lurch is on the harpsichord. Morticia's knitting a sweater with, like, two heads. Mm-hmm. Gomez is up to his shenanigans. And the kids are playing with a lizard. And it's just, like, it's a giant house. They yeah. don't all need to be in the same room as each other. No. But there they all are. For yeah. this quality, fa- this endless quality family time, which only gets interrupted by the outside world. Yeah. Which is why most episodes start with, males here. Because they, <laughs> they hear that like, auga. Mm-hmm. Call the males in. Thank the, you, thing. Thing will get the mail and, <laughs> and bring it in. Yeah. And then it's just like, well, it says here that, and then often. So and so is coming to visit. Or the kids have been invited to this thing. Or is in the first episode, the kids have to go to school. Yeah. And if the mail never came. They would just keep doing their quirky hobbies and watching each other do them and being so supportive. Gomez in particular. Yeah. Well, oh, God, John Aston. Can we talk about John Aston? His high energy support for whatever you're doing. Yes. You know, you, you just... That you, you smile. Get up, you go get something. He's like, good show, old man. Way to do that. Show he, him your stuff. He's so enthusiastic and supportive. And, you know, they're all... In regards to the outside world coming in, they're all charmingly oblivious to the fact that they're different or that they might scare anyone else. Sure, so are the monsters. Mm. And they would both, Lily and Morticia, I think, had that, why, that nice Mr. Collins. Mm -hmm. That nice Mr. Mr. Hilliard. Mr. Hilliard, yes. Who would just be like the dog catcher or something. And it's like, why, it's that nice dog catcher. Come back. (laughs) Uh You know? And I think some of that might be from, well, one, they've just got a good attitude. Yeah. But two, they're pretty hard to kill. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. They're this, this they don't kind have of, to be afraid of. Yeah, they're this kind of like indestructible family. Both of them, mm-hmm. monsters, I refer to again. And, and the Adams family, nothing seems to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Except the possibility of romantic betrayal. Right. Which, that's always just a misunderstanding. Yeah. I think you can kind of go through life with a more welcoming attitude. If you knew nothing was going to hurt you. Sure. Um, I also want to note that very importantly, Mm. when they notice that someone is different from them. For example, there's an early episode of The Addams Family where uh, Uncle Fester joins a Lonely Hearts Club and sends away because he wants to marry someone. And when, by the way, when that started, I was like, oh, my God, Addams Family values like it's it's so charming how the movies even pulled so many things directly from. So lovingly inspired by the panels and the TV show and whatever. Yeah. But anyway, the, this woman in a quite a Shakespearean misunderstanding, he sends away for, you know, a bride. And then the incidentally, Avon the Avon lady shows up. And she's very much a typical beautiful woman of the day. And they comment on how she's not very attractive. But they let her in anyway. But so They're like, that poor dear. Yeah. That poor unfortunate soul. Yeah. My point is. Yeah. You know, they do recognize that other people are different from them. They recognize differences. They don't recognize that they are the minority. They just recognize that they're different from other people or that other people are different from them. But generally speaking, they are emphatically open to diversity. Yeah. And you'll also learn, and this is a running theme through pretty much all the iterations of the characters, 
is that they're global citizens, as it were. It's like they have relatives from all over the globe. There's something exotic. They're into all kinds of exotic things. They're into Zen yoga and voodoo and... And here they had all these, like, wild animals and, well, let me get to that. Please. I realize that they're more... Here, kitty. There's kitty. Okay. (laughs) They're morbid. That's a defining factor. They Mm -hmm. wear black. They live next to a graveyard. There's allusions to manslaughter and murder off screen. Yeah. But the household is full of life. Besides just the family and their love for activities, there's things alive that aren't normally alive. Oh, There's uh-huh. a bearskin rug that's alive. Yeah. Uh, there's Taxidermy. a dismembered hand oh, yeah. that's alive. There's the plants. Mm-hmm. I, I realize plants are alive. Cleopatra. Cleopatra, the meat-eating plant is abnormally alive. Mm -hmm. You go into the movie, there's a living little person, cameo by Barry Sonnenfeld, Mm. in the train. Mm -hmm. There is an abnormal amount of life, of living, kind of sentient, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as a dismembered hand and a a bear rug can be. Thing is very sentient. Yes, the bear rug just seems to growl. Yeah. And pets. Mm. There's a pet octopus. There's a pet lizard. Wednesday has pet spiders. Yeah. The kooky and the creepy Alright, party on Wayne Party on Garth Okay, I bet you're expecting to see the Adams family Fish So we're doing it? We're doing the first we're movie? We're gonna do it I have things to say Okay. So, Kiet. Yeah. The first film came out in 91. Mm-hmm. The characters looked a little more like the cartoons this time. Yeah. Morticia it is now being played by Angelica Houston, who has more sort of pointed features. She does. Than Carolyn Jones has. She's got those had. high cheekbones. Carolyn Jones's face was kind of like a little smaller and rounder. She was a little more petite. She was a little doe-eyed. Mm-hmm. Whereas Angelica Houston actually had some appliances kind of like sharpen out her eyes. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Between that and the corset, which didn't let her sit down, she was quite uncomfortable. Unhappy, darling. Oh, yes. Yes, and then you got Raul Julia oh. playing Gomez. So charming. Who brings a bit of a foreign suaveness to it. Yeah, sure. I'll I looked take it, it up. I never knew where Raul Julia was. Please tell me, from. because I saw interviews with him during the movie and I was like, I didn't know he had that accent. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Wow. Yeah. Well, whatever like kind of non-regional, vaguely European thing he has going on kind, in kind the of movies. Like a, kind is... of like a gypsy, but kind of he dresses Eastern European. Yeah. But he's got that sort of like Latin lover thing going sort on. Sort of. But also it is. sort of like an Omar Sharif. Yeah. Yeah, my clothes just come flying off. <laughs> he's so charming. And like I said, there were interviews. I saw stuff with him on set where he's like talking about the character and he's this thick, now what I know now to be a Puerto Rican accent. And I was just like, oh my God. He's just so talented. It hurts. He's so good. Personal opinion. And made Gomez his own. 
Yes. Really, he wasn't just doing John Aston again. No. Although but he I, was keeping the level of energy. Yes, and the enthusiasm. You know, but just yeah. a little darker edge than John Aston. And by the way, John Aston like stole my entire heart watching these episodes. I think he is so charming and handsome. And if you watch later interviews with John Aston, he really got what the show was about and cared about that character and developed that character. So I have a deep affection for him. But. Raul Julia is just this great combination of, like, darkness and dank, like, sexual passion. Querida. Last night you were unhinged. You were like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Do it again. And then the kids, the actor who played Pugsley, what's his name? Jimmy Workman. Jimmy Workman and Christina Ricci were the same age. Oh, I didn't realize that. In the sequel, he's kind of being portrayed as younger, or maybe that's just supposed to be, like, not as sophisticated mm -hmm. as Wednesday. Certainly that, yeah. He's more of just a boy, just a rambunctious boy, mm -hmm. where she's just, like, a tiny woman. Yeah. The guy who played Thing made another appearance on my uh, DVD shelf as the possessed hand in Idle Hands. No. Yeah. Appropriate. The guy who played Lurch had been... I guess recently to then, he was the giant in Twin Peaks. He would just uh, appear. Oh my God! Sorry, you just you just put that blew my mind. Yeah, I knew both of these things, and I didn't. They didn't come together in my brain until you just said that. The owls are not what they seem. So Fester Adams has been missing. For 25 years. 25 long years. After falling out. And Dan Hedea plays like the interloper. Oh, he's so great. Who I believe like went to college with Gomez. They go back a, a long way. Yeah. And I like the way he can just sort of step into the weirdness of the Adams family. Like mm. you get the idea he's been hanging around them for a while. Yeah. So. He's up for a good fencing. Yeah. Fight. Gomez just throws him a sword. And he wishes he was anywhere else. But he can step in mm -hmm. with the Adams family. Without getting killed, yeah. which I guess is its own skill. Mm -hmm. And so he plays, I guess, wave one of the interlopers. He's into he's the, the the money manager, financial yeah, planner kind of, of sorts. Yeah, like, like their lawyer. But trying to make some more money off of these insanely rich, crazy people to pay off the loan sharks. Yeah, the mother son loan sharks. The enforcer, played by Christopher Lloyd, mm -hmm. looks a lot like the missing. Uh, Remarkably, except he's got, you know, crazy wig on. <laughs> he's got hair. Yeah. So now Fester is home, but it's an imposter as he tries to get into the vault, which is uh, pretty easy at the end of the day. Remember when he's like, oh, I just want to walk around and remember. And he's like, no time. No time. We're, We're going, going straight, straight to, to the, the vault. vault. You can tell that Morticia knows more than she lets on to. Always. But I never know how much she knows. She, like, she knows that Fester's trying to get into the vault. Mm. So she goes and tells him how important he is. Does she know she's speaking to an imposter saying, hey... You're a part of this family now, even if you're an imposter. So get with the program because mm -hmm. you're important to us. Mm -hmm. Right. Or does she think she's talking to Fester? Like, like when, when she takes him yeah. on a tour yeah. of the graveyard. I thought about that, too. It's um, a good... I think that's open to interpretation, but it's clear that she's intuitive. Yeah. And our credo 
sic gorgiamus allos subjectatus nunc. We gladly feast on those who would subdue us. Not just pretty words. As an Adams, you understand completely, don't you? As an Adams, yes, I do. Good night, Fester. Rest in peace. One of the trademarks of Fester Adams back in the show was, and I don't know if this was ever in a cartoon, but it's that he can take a light bulb and stick it in his mouth. Yeah. And it'll light up. Yeah. Super fun. And he never does that when he's an imposter. But then, oh, I, I just put it together. He gets struck he's by struck lightning. He's struck by lightning. That's what they say, yeah. And now he's all charged up. And that's their way of saying, yes, 100%, this, this guy is, is the real Fester Adams, and now they are a whole family. Because if he were a human, you don't get struck by lightning and then suddenly have, like, the ability to... I mean, I'm not saying they're not human, but they're superhuman they're in some ways. They're Adamses, yeah. yes. What news? Father, what is it? It's an Adams. And now we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. Probably top five. And I know I'm not alone in this. There is such an incredible affection for this film. Adam's Family Values. Oh, so good. Which, it's been long enough, I think people have kind of lost sight that the name itself was a contemporary joke. It's when uh, George H.W. Bush was running for re-election. That's when they started going on Family Values. That right, became right, like right. a term. That's when... He went after the Simpsons and, like, compared them to the Waltons, and that became a thing. <laughs> hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're praying for an end to the Depression, too. Joan Cusack comes in as Debbie, mm -hmm. the Black Widow, who marries rich men and then kills them for their money. And she comes in as the new nanny to little Pubert Adams, the new baby. Pubert, trivia, was one of the proposed names for Pugsley. Oh, back, I didn't know that. Back in the day. And the little baby is played by a little girl. Or two little girls, you know, it's always two kids. Yep, with a mustache. With a mustache. Do you think that when a new baby arrives, one of the other children has to die? Yes. Well, that's just not true. Not anymore. This time, Carol Kane is playing Mama. So amazing. My yeah. favorite Mama. Fester's played a little differently. They never even talk about the fact that he was missing for 25 years. No. So you could really just watch this movie on its own. And I did for many years. <laughs> and it goes away from what was, I guess could have just been Gomez's interpretation of him as a ladies' man. Mm -hmm. But, of course, he compliments everybody all the time for everything. So I guess he really couldn't believe it completely because now he's a very shy, awkward fester. So a awkward. closer to the TV show sure. fester. Sure. Who wants to woo but doesn't really know how. So, like the TV show, yeah. is getting advice from Morticia Very and, much. And when I was watching the episode of the TV show where they were, like, taking his picture for the Lonely Hearts thing and they go on a double date with him and Adam's Family Values, but... Yeah. I They're feel always like... quick with love advice. These yeah. These two. Woo her. Admire her. Make her feel like she's the most sublime creature on Earth. In order for Debbie to continue with her plan, she's got to get rid of the kids. Is... She wants to marry Fester and take his money and kill him. Yeah. Wednesday is suspicious by nature. Yeah. So to get them out of the house. Debbie suggests that they should go to summer camp. So they ship them off to Camp Chippewa. Yes. Or drop them off, rather. 
Because I think that's important to note because that scene is amazing where they're interacting with the other parents and children. Oh, Wednesday's at that very special age when a girl has only one thing on her mind. Boys. Homicide. If you were to create a boyfriend for Wednesday, oh. the tough-as-nails, spooky-ooky girl played by, we now know, the lightning in a bottle that was Christina Ricci, they saw what she could do in part one, Let's give her a bigger part. Let's give her a boyfriend. What do we do? Do we make him like a boy Wednesday? Do we make it like a little goth? Is he like like a monster type? Like, like just like a little Frankenstein with bolts in his neck? Yeah. No. It's a nebbish, sickly, frail. Asthmatic. Young David Crumholtz. <laughs> He's so cute. Mom, I don't think I like it here. Will you stop already? Do you know how dirty you are? Selma, please leave him alone. He's I got can't a breathe. Oh, stop. And his mom is so controlling. And I think just the fact that he's got like one foot in the grave. They're like sitting together on the bench. And he goes, you know what could happen if my mom uses dryer sheets? What? I die. <laughs> Whoa. And then her little pigtail body just kind of scoots up next to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what she's drawn to. He's, he's certainly a different kid, just different in a different way than we might think someone might be who would work for Wednesday. But it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. This was, like, the last note I took. I wrote, part of the appeal of the movie Wednesday is our projection of the woman she would become. Oh. And what a holy terror she would be. Which is why I think that the musical doesn't really work. Suddenly, however, I've been puzzled. Bunny rabbits make me want to cry. All my inhibitions have been muzzled. And I think I know why. It's a losing game presenting an adult Wednesday. Mm. Because, like I just brilliantly put... <laughs> Part of the appeal of Wednesday, at least the Christina Ricci version of Wednesday, who I think just completely changed the template of what Wednesday could be. She's incredible. In all future iterations. Mm -hmm. It's this possible Wednesday that we're picturing in our heads that we're like, if she's like this at 12, boy, when she hits 20, yeah, she's just going to be tearing down the street with just a trail of fire behind her. I never thought about it that way, but I like that. Don't worry. We've told Wednesday, college first. And I have to say, having seen several other Wednesdays, um, actresses playing Wednesday, you know, Lisa Loring, she was five or six, and clearly she's parroting what people are telling her to do, like pout and be, like, look a little sad. And she's fine. It's yeah. cute. Well, it's she, a sitcom. What, what are you going to do? What answer to other little girls. Absolutely. In other sitcoms of the day. Absolutely. But I think... When you hit Christina Ricci, I think it's just she's just such a great actress and she just was so good at what she was doing that you feel like such depth and she's able to communicate a lot of different things. Whereas I found that a lot of the other Wednesdays were trying, in my opinion, too hard to kind of like look spooky or something, like look sullen and spooky and like kind of goth and cool. And they're just too self-aware. And Christina Ricci, I think for me, she's just the Wednesday. Do you think that? knowing now that Tim Burton was involved in the very early stages of developing this into a movie, that that Wednesday was like an extension of Lydia Dietz. Oh, yeah, sure. I kind of myself am strange and unusual. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. You could say that. All right. Indeed. 
Thanks, Tim Burton. Thank you, Tim Burton, for Again. everything. <laughs> My name is Gomez Adams, and I have seen evil. I have seen horror. I have seen the unholy maggots which feast in the dark recesses of the human soul. There it can. There's a lot to like. I have to say, though, just by the design of the film, what we didn't get a lot of was the Adams family together. Mm. The kids got sent off into their adventure, and then Fester got taken away by Debbie, and then you didn't get part of the real appeal of the Adams family, going back to the original show at least, which is the Adams family just being this unit, this functioning unit. I didn't think about that. Who hang out together and watch each other play instruments. Right. But I guess, again, if you need conflict... Well, if you want to have conflict with this great, unseparable unit, sure, you separate them. Yeah, you're right. You don't get them all together, but you get lovely things like um, Gomez and Fester reminiscing about their childhoods and, you know, things like that. So I yeah. suppose there are a few pairings where they're... And the way it was all split up, Gomez and Morticia have smaller part mm-hmm. in Adam's Family Values mm-hmm. than they had in the first film. Adam's Family Values is very much Fester's and Wednesday's movie, which I'm totally cool with. Yeah, very much. But then that does give you... The nice moment when they come back. They all come back at once. Mm-hmm. Fester's there. And Pugsley's just like, I'll go Fester. And he's just a big ball of like, dark sunshine. But yeah. still. Yeah. And then Wednesday's more hesitant. And she just goes, you sent us to camp. They made me sing. <laughs> but then she goes and hugs Fester too. And you're like, oh, that's that's a rather earned hug. That hug's been a long time. Yeah. Waiting. They love each other so much. So much. And not just that. I'm hot for you, Morticia, love, that we get to see a lot of, but... Family is just everything to them, you know? It's very important. It's um, it's just one of those things where, as a horror fan, I think most of us can identify with feeling at home and feeling close to people who are a little bit odd that other people might see as odd, or movies that perform the same role. And there's just something so comforting and lovely to me about this family, I just love them because they love each other. And it seems really, truly, ultimately, their family unit is impenetrable. Someone's always trying to mess it up. Yeah. And they might succeed for a little bit. Like, they get Fester's taken away and, kids you know. Kids go to camp. The kids go to camp. And, I mean, she's making Fester. The family shows up and he says, go away, you know. I love how Morticia's like, you're holding him sexually hostage and blah, blah, blah. I can respect that. But please, let us see him. Yeah. They are now, just what's, so What's the persistent. one thing she can't forgive? Pastels? Pastels. <laughs> Debbie, pastels.
The Adams family. Yeah. Operative word, family. Mm-hmm. They have quality time together. If the outside world didn't keep intruding for their millions and millions of dollars or love advice, mm-hmm. they would just keep having fun with themselves, with their hobbies. Some of that hobby was like, you know, murder. Yeah. Until they died and then lie rotting next to each other for all eternity. That, that was a line from one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And they were talking about how romantic it is. This is the kind of family for which family plots are made. Mm. Oh, yeah. Where it's important to them that like their mortal remains be in proximity to each other. Absolutely. Because I know we're all learning lessons about ourselves by seeing our values transposed in the form of ghouls. But at the same time, we're just seeing values the opposite of transposed. Yeah. Just seeing good old solid values. Yeah. Yeah. Adam's family values. Yeah. Which is love your family. You need them and they need you. Be kind to your neighbors and your house guests. And and be accepting. Even if they're strange to you. Yes. Because there's no one normal. There's lots of normals. And whichever one you are probably isn't going to be the same normal as the next person you encounter. Right. So be accepting of that. Yeah. Like the Adams family. That's right. And you know what? I'm going to honestly try to be more encouraging of other people. Absolutely. Just like Gomez. Yeah. Oh, God. Be like Gomez. Next time someone's like, come see my band. Yeah. I'm going to go see your band. How'd you like my band? Good show. Good show, old man. Yeah. You're really up there doing it. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Be like Gomez. You'll make everyone feel happier. And by extension, I feel I'll be happier. Yeah, you will. And you should be like more like Morticia. A cool cucumber exuding sexuality. Yeah. But as, as far as what we were talking about, well, Morticia was, the Angelica Houston was uh, accepting of everybody who kind of crossed her path, which is less people seem to cross her path in the Carolyn Jones version. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, next time you got someone coming to the door, oh, who was at the door? Why, it's that nice process server <laughs> giving us a subpoena. <laughs> And when you see him again, you're like, oh, when you wrap things up at the end, when you're reading the newspaper, what's it say? Well, it's that nice process server who came by. Says here he's joined the Foreign Legion. (laughs) Oh, good for him. Yeah, that's how every show seemed to end. Yeah. They were like reading the paper. Gomez is doing his yoga. She's knitting a sweater with three arms or whatever. and And whoever they encountered had made like some kind of like page 10 article. Mm -hmm. Kind of tucked in the back. It's never front page news. Yeah. It's not like, accountant moves to South America to get yeah. get away from weird atoms. No. But it's some, like, small article that Gomez reads. I just wanted to take one second and thank the people who've been reaching out to us lately. Because we've had a couple of really nice emails. And we love hearing, I mean, as always, we love hearing from you guys. It'd be really great to see a couple more iTunes reviews. I would love to see that. Just because it helps us get a little bit more visible and helps more people find us. Capital Um, idea, Kat. Yeah. Thank you, Marshall. But also the people who've been reaching out and letting us know the ways that they enjoy our podcast and what it's done for them. And it means a lot to hear that because we just, we're just talking and having fun for ourselves. So thank you for reaching out. Um, You know who you are and please continue to do so on all platforms. We will always interact with you and it's really fun for us. And And in order to do that. Bravo. Bravo, Kat. Thank you. Having said that, 
If you want to reach us, you can do so at boysandghouls at gmail. We've got a Boys and Ghouls Twitter and a Boys and Ghouls at Facebook. And Instagram. Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr. No reason not to get in touch with us. Nope. Be like Gomez. Be enthusiastic. Yes. And like Gomez, we get the mail. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to start with that. We don't have a thing to go get the mail for us. No. It's true. Kind of the parallels in there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. We had a really good time doing this. If you're listening to this the day it drops, have a lovely Valentine's Day tomorrow. Give somebody some nice roses with the heads cut off. And then kiss them right up the arm (laughs) to the eventual lips. And as always, beware the moon. Beware the moon. Beware the moon.